The drug issue in Africa is as diverse as the continent itself, from the long history of cannabis cultivation in the north to the emergence of methamphetamine production in the south, increasing flows of heroin transiting through the east and across the continent rising consumption of drugs, accompanied by a slew of public health, security and social challenges. Given the diversity of issues, it's clear there is no simple answer or singular policy that can effectively address this myriad of challenges. In this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime partners with the Drugs and Development Hub, or the DDH, to explore multi-dimensional policy responses to the drug issue in Africa. We started this conversation last year in a podcast episode about the DDH and the alternative development policies it advocates on drugs. Today, we add new voices to the discussion as we bring the perspectives of regional experts to the table. I'm your host, Lindy Tongana, and today I'm in conversation with Deborah Alimi in Paris. She's an independent researcher on drug policy at Sorbonne University. From Nigeria, Chinwike Okorere, the founder and CEO of the African Law Foundation. In Accra, Ghana, we have Maria Goretti from the International Drug Policy Consortium. And in Durban, South Africa, we are joined by Monique Marx, the head of the Urban Futures Center at the Durban University of Technology. The Drugs and Development Hub is an initiative that brings together researchers, academics, policymakers, and people affected by drug economies to discuss new approaches to drug policy. Before we get into the potential role of the DDH in the African context, let's start by looking at the current policy environment. Maria, what kind of approaches have African countries tended to adopt in response to drug issues? And in your view, what fundamentally needs to change? For the past 50 years, governments in the region have only relied on tackling one dimension, which is crime. And this singular approach is ineffective in isolation and is a hangover on colonialism. Given the diversity of the issue and the complexity of the drug situation in the region, I believe that governments must adopt more balanced and humane policy responses, which focuses as I mean, much, much on uh, health, human rights and development. So in my opinion, we can best address these challenges in several ways. First, um, governments need to appreciate the fact that the drug situation cannot be won through the supposed war on drugs, which is a war on people, actually. And it's a fact that drugs have been with us since the existence of man. So thinking that we can have a drug-free society, I see it as an illusion that cannot be met. So in my view, once we come to that realization, I believe it will give us a sense of direction in terms of our approaches. Maria just said that the war on drugs is essentially a war on people. Chinwike, do you think that this is also reflected in the policy response in Nigeria, particularly in light of the fact that the National Drug Law Enforcement Agency of Nigeria in March launched a new drug abuse reduction campaign? 
You know, currently the, the, the agency launched what they call WADA, War Against Drug Abuse. And um, their focus actually has been the issue of uh, the number of arrests, the, the number of drugs seized, the number of uh, crops and farmland they destroyed. That has become their hallmark of success, indicators of success. Nigerian law is one of the most stringent and the most hardest law you can get in Africa. And uh, we accept that law is uh, repealed and replaced. It is very difficult to have a policy, drug policy uh, regime that focuses on, uh, mostly on human rights and public health approach. The drug law has no threshold. Even to, if for, for, for use of uh, drug preferences, you are criminalized. So, and who are the people they have been punished by these laws? Mostly poor people, mostly vulnerable groups, women and all the rest. They had had the criminals, the drug barons, I hardly even um, touched. This policy has to change. If it doesn't change, we're not going to have a sustainable and effective drug control system that is and a, and a, a policy regime that is human rights and health-oriented. Let's turn to South Africa now. Monique, talk us through some of the most pressing drug-related issues in the country. Increasingly, South Africa is becoming a transportation hub for illicit drugs. But I think more importantly than that, it's become a market for people who use drugs. And the reason for that is what I call the burden of the future. And when I talk about the burden of the future, what I'm referring to is particularly for young people between the ages of, say, 18 and 35, and maybe even a little bit beyond that, who look beyond today and they see simply no opportunities going forward. And I'm talking about opportunities in terms of accessing tertiary education or further education uh, opportunities. We have a massively growing unemployment rate, and we have the burden of a number of different diseases, uh, COVID being one of them. But of course, we are heavily affected by TB and by HIV. So I think what's happened as the burden of the future becomes more and more apparent to young people, they begin to look for solutions that make sense to them. And drug use has become a solution to the problems, which is really, for me, a failure of the broader society and a failure of government to be able to create some kind of catchment so that people are actually having a much more hopeful prospect. So that's that's a, a critical point because it means that you know what we have in South Africa at the moment is a market which is burgeoning with very few interventions that are effective or that really make sense to people who are using drugs as a solution to more structural problems that exist. So long as you know, drugs remain illicit, the impact on individuals is very problematic because there's no way of regulating drug use and it means that people really don't know what they're putting into their bodies. And I think the the market is pretty toxic at the moment because the bulking agents that are being used are varied and are probably much more harmful than the drug itself. Clearly, something has to change. Maria, where do we start? As a continent, we have to first of all consider reviewing and amending our drug laws because they are the main challenge to some of the problems we are currently facing. Once we are able to review the laws and ensure that they are grounded in public health, human rights, and development base, 
it gives us an opportunity to be able to address the problem holistically. What we also need to do as a continent is to be bold enough to decriminalize drug use. And by doing so, we are creating an enabling environment for people who use drugs to freely access health services like harm reduction without fear of arrest. Because if you look at countries where we even have harm reduction currently happening, because of the draconian laws, many of these drug users are unable to come out and access it because of the fear of arrest of police officers. I also think that at the national level, we need to commit to a balance and proportionality in terms of the local approaches, offering people who use drugs support, treatment and protection rather than the punishment that we have always focused on. And by doing so, I believe that we can address the barriers to the availability and accessibility of essential medicines for people who actually even need them. For example, um, some years back, Ghana decided that they needed to try and see how best they could focus on reducing prison um, congestion, especially in, in relation to petty offenses, and also the fact that drug users are the people who are mostly targeted by law enforcement. And so Ghana sought to do so. And I believe that this is an example. It's not a perfect law, but I believe that it's an example that many more countries can follow that step and be able to quit those policies available to address the challenges on the ground. Let's welcome Deborah Alimi to the conversation at this point, a researcher on global drug policy. Deborah, you've heard your colleagues talk a little bit about drug issues and responses in Ghana, Nigeria and South Africa. So in trying to address these challenges, what might a nuanced and multidimensional approach to drug policy look like? Having a multidimensional approach to drug policy first entails to ask ourselves, what is the drug problem? There's a tendency to look at the drug-related issues as a single problem and to turn a blind eye on the complex and multidimensional uh, realities of, of, that, uh, of those phenomenon. The specificity of the drug problem is that it has been, as any other public problem, socially constructed in different times, in different contexts, and it has been problematized at the crossroads of different stakes, touching on morality, health, economy, geopolitical stakes at the international level, and at the micro level, while the drug-related phenomenon cover different aspects of social life and individual trajectory, we tend to explain uh, behaviors implying drugs, whether it's use, or trafficking, or any activities in the drug chain, through categorical bias and uh, applying unidimensional lenses to it, cutting and pasting some figures of criminals, patients, marginals, etc. So turning a blind eye on the roots and social causes of such behavior led us to have quite a unique recipes to the to 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 drugs so now as we have uh, more research more data on the reality of drugs it is actually needed to embed our reading of the drug problem into national cultural and historical context and thus recognize and restate the complexity of drug related issues maria in taking steps towards multidimensional responses to drugs, are there existing policy frameworks at the regional and international level that 
African countries can borrow from. I'm thinking of the 2016 UN General Assembly special session on the world drug problem, also known as UNGAS. I know quite a number of people are familiar with the UNGAS outcome document, which has been a very progressive document in terms of the focus as to how we can promote drug policy that are centered on human rights and public health. Because if you look at that document, it actually promotes the well-being of society through evidence-based prevention and strategies, as well as drug treatment dependence being a complex issue and how we can look at it from a multifactorial health disorder and also how we can address the challenges. Um, and more recently, the UN Common Position, which was launched, I think, in 2018, and it was actually adopted by 31 UN agencies. And if you look at that document, basically, it calls for the support for harm reduction. It also emphasized on decriminalization of drug use and a strong language for human rights, which I believe that we need as well. I mean, I would need it as policymakers to be able to direct us into addressing some of the challenges. And lastly, the African Common, I mean, the AU Plan of Action, which was adopted in Cairo in 2019, and it actually runs till 2023. Um, if you look at these documents, I, I think it's one of the progressive documents that the African Union has ever had. If you look at it, it commits to balance and proportionality at the, um, the local, national, and regional levels um, by emphasizing that people who use drugs need some support, they need treatment, and they need protection, rather than the punishment and the criminalization of this group of people. What's so important about this document that I always want to also bring on board is that this document clearly calls for decriminalization, and it actually even also calls for strong harm reduction for, um, by countries. And in that document, it calls on member states to put aside resources to actually implement um, the needle and string program and then opiate substitution therapy and other harm reduction services. I think these are documents that we can really draw inspirations from. And also the West Africa Drug Policy um, Commission on Drugs Model Drug Law, it actually gives us a template as to how our drug laws can look like when we are talking about public health human rights and development. So the international and regional policy frameworks are there. And as we've heard from Maria, they are quite progressive. Where is this going wrong at the domestic level? Let's start in South Africa. Monique? The policy environment is very, very contradictory. It's not that there's one policy that says something and it's it's clear to everybody else. So we know in South Africa, for example, there is in our National Drug Master Plan a very strong emphasis on harm reduction. But we also know that the policies related to policing and criminal justice are very prohibitionist and abstinence-based. What that does, I think, is it puts people in the public sector, particularly law enforcement and people in the health sector, in a very complicated situation where they're not really sure how to deal with drug use issues, both the market and the individual user. And I really think that that's an area where, where clarity can be given because there are gaps that we can be using to elevate the status of harm reduction. But that's not happening currently. And so all harm reduction services that are provided are done so by the non-state. 
Chinwike, you mentioned earlier that Nigeria continues to adopt punitive responses to drug issues, perhaps failing to draw inspiration from the progressive regional and international policy frameworks. What has been the consequence of this? What has happened is that we have seen that uh, that the, the criminal justice system of Nigeria have become very much overwhelmed, that almost 60% of uh, those incarcerated of drug offences constituted the, the higher number of people in detentions in Nigeria. And we have seen that um, the high, high prevalence cases of human rights abuses of people who use drugs. And we've seen also there is no alternative uh, development. The hectares of farmland being destroyed. What is the program of the government to support those farmers, those uh, drug growers that depend on those drugs uh, farming as a means of livelihood? There is nothing like that. Monique, is this also a concern in South Africa, where there are a lot of people who earn a living from the drug industry, such as growers or dealers, for instance? Dealers are, are actually really essential because they supply a good which the users need and often they don't have anywhere else to, to go to in terms of the problems that they're fronting on a day-to-day basis. And I think the other story is that for many of the dealers, if you were to, to get their narrative and their story, you'd find that they had probably been arrested for minor charges like possession in the past. And having that record on their name means that they're unable to get jobs in the formal sector. Deborah, Chinuka raised an interesting point about the lack of alternatives for farmers whose illicit crops are destroyed in the war on drugs. So how does the Drug and Development Hub address this question of alternative development? Well, actually, the the question of alternative development is a tricky in itself because alternative development, as you recall, has been constructed as a supply reduction tool that should be midway between drug control and development assistance and is mainly applied in uh, uh, territories affected by illicit cultivation. Now, in the recent years, the concept and the approach of alternative development has been expanded at the international level and developed uh, and tried again in different countries in Latin America, mainly in Asia um, as well, and has been now uh, understood as a broader entry point to build a more um, uh, development-oriented approach to drug cultivation. That is focusing on a comprehensive and preventive um, rationale that is people-centered and and bringing uh, policy coherence within responses to drugs, then uh, only focusing on drug supply reduction objective. Now, how we can further develop uh, alternative development uh, in a continent such as Africa, well, with the variety of contexts of countries and of problems that exist there, I think the, the first step would be to revamp the policy mindsets and, and be honest about what a drug response would take some distance, actually, from the objective, the pure and mere, and mere objective of eradication of a problem that over the past centuries could not be eradicated. So going forward, I believe uh, alternative development approach need first a recognition from policymakers and from authorities alike that that the drug problem um, is a problem as long as it impacts on the social integration and the social stability of the society concerned. 
That, uh, however, demand to take some risk forward and being ambitious to include a more uh, diverse set of actors uh, into policymaking. I'm thinking about the people involved in the illicit uh, cultivation, um, people also involved in illicit trafficking that somehow have also the response to their own difficulties. So we just heard Deborah say that what's required is a shift in the policy mindset. Chinwike, how can a platform like the Drugs and Development Hub actually assist in the promotion of development-oriented, human rights-centered and public health-focused drug policy in Africa? One of the areas I'm looking at for that the DDH can do much is to improve the engagement with the civil society in Africa, and especially to strengthen build a partnership in, in areas of um, capacity building, knowledge development, uh, issue of research, and advocacy engagement. So a country like Nigeria, drug policy is a very big federal government issue. It's a purely a federal government matter in the constitution. So it's only the federal government can, can initiate a change. And as big as the country is and all that, and the way the, the background of the drug control system in Nigeria, it requires a, a, a wide range of engagement and which a civil society has a lot to do in terms of mobilization and all that. So also the DDH can leverage on their network to improve uh, not just uh, support of civil society, also there is a gap in the policy funding that is need to broaden that aspect, especially to uh, increase the um, funding in drug policy reform in Africa because it's needed. Monique, earlier you said that South Africa has a contradictory policy response to the drug issue. Do you think that adopting measures advocated by the DDH could help streamline South Africa's policy response? The most impact comes from demonstration projects and from the non-government sector actually engaging in harm reduction activities and producing evidence around its effectiveness, particularly in relation to quality of life change, but also in relation to economic benefits of harm reduction. And I I really think that that's the way to go. And international bodies need to find ways of supporting local initiatives that are harm reduction focused. You know, I think it's, it's an unfortunate situation, actually, that South Africa, given its economy, or its potential economy and its political influence internationally is actually quite far behind many other African countries in terms of the promotion and the protection of, of harm reduction. Uh, that That is a very unfortunate situation. But just like the policy arena, even the actors, and, I, and even if I think about people like police at head office, it's very divided. There are, there are very senior police officers that are, that are strong advocates of harm reduction, but their voices are quietened by other senior people who have a more abstinence prohibitionist approach. So there are these pockets of brilliance that are really making a difference, but are somehow disconnected. From your perspective, Maria, do you think that the DDH can play a role in bringing together some of these great ideas and effective responses? I believe that this platform, it is a great platform that we can leverage on in terms of the advocacy work and extending the discussion and also bringing this to the forefront of governments and policymakers as to the direction we will need to take. 
having said that, I believe that this platform will need to continually engage. And that means that the communication, the networking, the connecting of the dots between countries and between the national, regional and international level needs to continue. And by doing so, um, I will suggest that we will need to kind of broaden the scope of the conversation and make sure that it, it, it covers a lot more wider networks and, and, and advocacy work in terms of um, what we, we are seeking to address within the continent. There's need for that partnership. There's need for us to begin to do more, especially in terms of the advocacy work, in terms of the discussions on the issues, and more importantly, research. Because in Africa, one of the challenges we have faced over time has been data, and that should not actually prevent us from going forward, but it's one of the areas that we need to actually focus on more in terms of what it's really on the ground. I remember when we were launching the ill treatment and torture report in Nigeria last month. Of course, many of the stakeholders in the room appreciated the fact that there has been anecdotal um, um, issues around torture of drug users and all that. But having undertaken this research, um, this research in particular, it gave them something that they can put before governments and say that now we have the data, we have the information, and we'll be able to really work on things. Can I just uh, reinforce this point about the support for research? I think that often what there's often much more support from organizations, let's say like Global Fund, PEPFAR, you know, those organizations for interventions, but not so much support for for research. And it's a real struggle, actually, to be able to employ people within intervention settings to be able to provide the data that is required for policy change. So I I think that that point is, is very, very critical and one that we really need to be putting on the agenda much more strongly. You know, what happens with the harm reduction circle is that we tend to be talking to each other. But I think we really need to be inserting ourselves in mainstream medical and psychosocial forums where where harm reduction is not spoken about at all. Deborah, particular needs have been raised around research, funding and engagement with civil society. What role can the DDH play in addressing these policy response gaps in the African context? I believe that the Drugs and Development Hub uh, has a very important role to play as it's an independent international platform centered on research and advocacy and policy brainstorming. So I assume that what would be uh, very much welcome, and as my uh, colleague just uh, just mentioned, there is three areas where the Drug and Development Hub can make a difference and, and really help or support policymakers, practitioner, researcher, and civil society alike to work together towards a more uh, multidimensional approach to drug issue and policymaking. The first one would be to provide this platform of where people could exchange good practices, but also mistakes, failures, and learn from the failure and successes to develop 
harm reduction approaches, uh, policies and measure and projects that do no harm to society and communities um, uh, targeted, and advance through a more nuanced uh, approach to their own work. So that would be uh, the first uh, dimension. Uh, the second one would be to support, as my colleagues say, the, the advocacy effort of civil society actors. Uh, and the third element, for, from my perspective, would be also to support uh, research and evidence building. We stressed in this conversation the importance of evidence-based uh, policymaking and evidence-based policy approaches. But without the evidence, without supporting researcher, practitioner as well, uh, because uh, law enforcement and health practitioner have their own expertise that need to be put at the forefront as well, uh, without support uh, for research, exchange around research findings and exchange of good practices and lesson learned, I think revamping and shifting mindset toward more nuanced and multidimensional approach would be very difficult. The Drugs and Development Hub is an important global conversation, working to shift mindsets towards more socially conscious and public health-oriented approaches to drug policy. Africa's contribution to it and potential benefit from it could accelerate much-needed change. That is where we leave it for today. A big thank you to all my guests, Deborah Alimi, Chinwike Okorere, Maria Goretti, and Monique Marx. If you'd like to find out more about the Drugs and Development Hub, visit the Global Partnership on Drug Policies and Development at gpdpd.org. The Global Initiative is also part of this network. Visit globalinitiative.net for more research on drugs and development. You can also find our first podcast on the DDH in your podcast feed or on the GI Multimedia page. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Lindy Mtongana. <laughs>